0: Well, Michael, thank you for your uh, gracious introduction. Thank you especially for not saying anything that Bill said about me. Uh, There are four of us kids, an older sister, three brothers. I'm the elder brother. And I have to take the rebukes of my younger brothers, and they are protected by my older sister. So pray for me. I'm sort of alone in my family, something of a martyr. It is an incredible joy to be here. I cannot tell you how uh, I feel like I've been to church, and I need to go to church, and I'm so grateful for this. And, Michael, thank you for the invitation to come home to our church. And Diana sends her love, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her by lunchtime tomorrow, God willing. And i uh, she's what? She's been a part of all of our services. And, in fact, this morning she texted me. She said, I just raised my hand. As you ask, she said, God's dealing with me as well. So she's a part of, of what's going on here and part of my life and yours as well. Let me ask you, if you will, please, to open your Bible to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John's Gospel, chapter 15 in the 16th century, about the middle of the 16th century, in fact, 1555. In fact, October 16, 1555 in England, not far outside the town of Oxford, an event took place that you need to know a little bit about because it illustrates perfectly the message of this passage of scripture for us tonight, the portion that has to do specifically with joy. Three pastors had been arrested, one of them by the name of Cranmer, the other two, one by the name of Hugh Latimer, and Nicholas Ridley was the last of the three. They were interred in London Tower. They were tried and they were found guilty of not only insubordination, but of heinous crimes. You see, Mary had become queen of England, Mary, the daughter of Henry VIII. It was sort of a surprise. Everybody had wanted another daughter, but she somehow got that position, and she was dyed in the wool as a Roman Catholic. And her heart's determination was that at all cost, England was going to be a nation that had the Roman Catholic Church as its church and nothing else was going to be allowed. Well, there have been rumblings uh, back during those days. The people who called themselves or they were called by their enemies who always have good names, Protestants, Protestants, people who said, no, the way to God is not through a priest and you can't lose your salvation. It's through, it's through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and was raised from the dead. And once you receive him by faith, you don't have to go and confess to somebody every week and uh, take... Uh, the ordinances, the communion every week because uh, th- that's just not what we do. In fact, in their churches, they took away, you know, and the difference between many evangelical churches is that uh, the pulpit, the preaching of the Word is central, where in, uh, for instance, a Catholic church, you would have the, the table for the ordinance because the, the ordinance is central to them and the, the Word is somewhere off to the side there was a big battle, and Mary, who became known as Bloody Mary, was determined that she was going to succeed. So as a, as a public display of what would happen to you if you were a preacher of this kind of strange religion that she didn't want in England, these men were arrested, imprisoned, and tried. Two of them, it was determined, were going to be burned at the stake on the same day, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. Now, burning at the stake was was awful. I mean, just being burned at the stake is awful enough. But you'd be wrapped in chains. The chains would be nailed to the stake because they didn't want there to be any possibility that you might escape the fire. A a pouch containing gunpowder was often uh, uh, tied around the neck of the victim so that at the very last, as the flames got up to a certain height, it would explode, and, of course, along with it, the extremities, the head especially of the one who'd been tried. It was an awful thing, an awful thing, and they did it this way as a public example to everybody. Don't you deviate from what your government says is going to be the religion of this country. So here was Hugh Latimer and Nicholas uh, Ridley. They were brought in. They were uh, tied to the stake. As a matter of fact, uh, Hugh Latimer is famous for saying to his his uh, soldier that was that was nailing the chains to the stake, "Nail it." in securely because my flesh will have its way. And he's in other words, he was saying, I don't want to escape. I'm going to endure this. And then they they begin to pile up this cordwood and brush around the bottom of these stakes and up and up higher. And something happened about midpoint that you'll be very interested in. And I will tell you about it at the close of the service. I want to speak this evening on the subject, Jesus and joy, Jesus and joy. And let me tell you why, this is why I believe the Lord wants me to preach this message. I've never preached it before. I asked the Lord, what is your message for Sherwood Church? And uh, he gave me the one for this morning that I preached, and then again this message this evening. It is that that I believe this world at this moment needs to see joy in the heart of those who claim Jesus as their Savior. This world desperately needs to see joy. You say, well, preacher, you haven't seen the news. Probably not all the news that you've seen, but but I, I know a little bit about what's going on. Yes, I do. But I also believe that someone greater than that is running the show. You know, you get you get on a. Uh, have you ever been on the octopus ride in the in the in the carnival? Have you ever? Have done that? Y'all been on the octopus ride? You know, you you. Uh, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, the octopus. You've got this little cupola that you sit in, and it, it's opposite another one that's, that is, is on a, an axis here, and then that is on another axis. That, t- that turns this way, and then the other one turns this way, and then the whole thing goes up on the end. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And then it begins to go around this way, and you wouldn't worry too much about the fact except that the guy that's running the whole thing is down there with a hayseed in his mouth, and he's got his hand on a lever, and you wonder, does this guy know anything? You know he does. Now, if it's your first ride on the octopus, you're gonna get, I mean, you're spinning three different ways at the same time, and your thought is, I'm gonna die. But those who've ridden the octopus more than once and those who are standing out and observing their friends up there on the octopus know that it's all tied together and one person has his hand on the control switch. We are in an an atmosphere right now in which people feel like they're riding on a social, physical, economic, governmental, relational octopus. And somehow, someway, before this service is over tonight, I hope you will see that someone else is is actually running the show. You say, oh, it's the devil. No, no, no. The devil is God's messenger boy. Even the devil doesn't move without God's permission. The devil is not... It's not co-equal with God. We don't have two equally powerful entities arguing over who can control the world. I want to remind you in Job's situation, who brought up Job's name? It was God. Have you considered my servant Job? For which I'm sure Job was tremendously grateful uh, <laughs> when all of it was over. And so what, what I want to do tonight is to read to you a passage of scripture and then make a few comments about it and then let us all together make a decision about the attitude that this world is going to see reflected because it is buried deeply in our hearts and we're committed to it. We're going to think about Jesus and joy. You have your Bible open to Romans, uh, to, to first, uh, excuse me, to John's chapter 15. Now, let me, let me give you a little background for this. Uh, the last words of chapter 14, arise and let us go from here. And Jesus has the, what we call the Last Supper has ended. In less than 12 hours, Jesus will be crucified. Think of it. He'll go from that upper room. He'll go to the garden of Gethsemane. That's where he begins to bleed. His sweat is, as it were, drops of blood falling on the ground. Physicians call this hematidrosis. He would begin to sweat drops of blood, ultimately bleeding out on the cross. But there in the garden of Gethsemane, he'd be arrested. He would be betrayed. He would be falsely accused. He would be tried in a in a mockery of, of justice. He would be brutally beaten with straps of leather into which were put pieces of, of metal and glass and stone, and they would tear the flesh so that literally through these gaping wounds you could see the visceral organs of the victim. He would carry his cross to Calvary. The bones would come out of their sockets. People would jeer at him the whole time this was happening. People, the very people for whom he was dying were going to do this. This was all going to happen in the next 12 hours, and Jesus is going to talk about joy. Incredible. So now let's look at this passage of Scripture beginning with verse 1 of chapter 15. I want to read down through verse 11. It's a rather lengthy passage, but just follow along. Jesus says, these words are so familiar, they are walking toward Gethsemane. He knows what's going to happen in Gethsemane. And as they're walking, he says, I'm the true vine. My father is a vine dresser, the husbandman, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleanses it or purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you're cleansed through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. The only way you can bear fruit is to abide in me in me," he says. I'm the vine, you're the branches, in case you didn't get that. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can't do anything. You can do nothing, that is nothing of value. If a man abides not in me, he is cast forth like a branch, and becomes withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned and if you abide in me and my words abide in you you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you this is the way my father is glorified that you bear much fruit that's the way you're to be my disciples as the father has loved me i have loved you in the same way continue In my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says this These things, I'm telling you these things, gentlemen, these things I have spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Does your world, whether it's a school world or your family or your friends, your business, does your world consider you to be a joyful person? I mean, really, let's just be honest about this. If they were asked to just give, give, give some characteristics that describe this person, would joy even enter into the discussion, would somebody say, I'll tell you what, that lady, she is so filled with joy. That man, I don't know what it is about him. When he walks into the office, everything brightens up. His life is so joyful. Would your wife say about you, sir, my husband is a joyful man? Sir? Sir? would you say, of your wife, my wife is perhaps the most joyful person I've ever known. You say, well, Tom, normally I'm, I'm that way, but you know what's going on right now. Yeah, I know what's going on. Uh, I knew what was going on. I just read about it when Jesus was speaking these words. We're 12 hours from the cross, so I, that, that's in my atmosphere, right? And he's talking about joy. Jesus and joy. I, 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 some years ago, well, back in 1962, that's been 58 years ago. <laughs> I guess it's a little more than some. But in uh, 1962, when I was called to preach, um, after my ordination, I immediately started pastoring a little mission in Warren, Arkansas, sawmill town down in south-central Arkansas. And I didn't know anything about anything. I was their pastor. Fortunately, they didn't know anything about anything. They were my people. We just had fun, saw people saved, cut a house in two, moved it across town, took out a wall in the living room. I stood in where the bay window was of that house. We had the only ladies' restroom in town that had a bathtub in it. I mean, it was just a house. We'd cut it in two and put it back together. And and the Lord just blessed. Well, I noticed that these... these, uh, these important preachers, you know, there were there was, there was preachers around, you know, and I would, I'd get letters from them, you know, and I noticed they always had something uh, that they could, you know, they'd sign their name, but it would be under, you know, like, you know, go for Jesus or, or uh, God bless you. Or, I thought, i got to get something like that. I got to have, you know, and I was looking in the Scripture, I thought I could come up with something, I, you know, like, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider, or, or, you know, the rings and the nose jewels. There's actually a verse in the Bible that says the rings and the nose jewels. I thought, put that down. No, that's not good. And so I, I, I decided I wanted to be happy about this. And I started signing my letters, what few letters I ever wrote, you know. I, as an 18-year-old, I started signing my letters, rejoice evermore. Just exactly what the Paul told the believers in Thessalonica. Rejoice always. So I just rejoice evermore. And, and I do that to this day. Rejoice evermore. Why? I think God's people ought to be known for their joy. Love, of course, the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, we can talk about that. Love, joy, peace. We ought to be unknown by all of it, but what, do, what is the most missing of those elements? It is joy. I mean, some of you all are listening to me with a frown. Smile for Pete's sake. We're thinking about something that is so very, very important, and your world desperately needs it. They've gotten so little of it They literally the average person, and I'm I'm thinking about this room too, goes home and gorges on bad news every night and expects to be filled with joy. So I'd like for you to think with me about two things. There's just two, two parts of this message. First of all, we're going to look at joy as a subject you know, what is it? Where did it come from? Second, we're going to look at joy as a sign. That is a sign to the world. Why is it that believers in Christ are an enigma to most people in the world who go around with a frown and then they meet somebody who has genuine joy in their heart? So let's look first of all at what, what it is. What is joy? This is a subject what is joy? Well, the word that is used here in the Scripture, and often uh, we, we have a lot of English words that come from this root, kara or kara. Uh, I even know a young lady named Kara Lee, and she's a joyful, joyful person, as are her parents who named her that. Now, this word means, in its original intent, means happy, but it, but it doesn't mean what you and I now think of happy and what it means. You see, sometimes we think of somebody being giddy or somebody who's being silly. Or we think of somebody who's a little nervous and so they just act happy. We think about um, an attitude in life that is controlled by circumstances. Everything's going good, so I'm happy. And if the circumstances are not good, I'm not happy. I could be sad, I could be mad, but if they're all right, I'm going to be glad, I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy. That's what we think of when we think of the term happy or happiness. But the Scripture's use of this word is something deeper than that. It, it refers to, to what you and I might want to think of as a calm assurance rooted in bigger truth. The bigger truth being this, God is in charge. A calm assurance rooted in the fact that we serve a sovereign God. Jesus is our Lord. As believers in Christ, we are part of the single greatest enterprise in all of the universe. We have an opportunity no one else has ever had before doing praise and glory and honor to our Lord throughout the ages, throughout eternity, throughout the universe because He proves in us that He can fix that which is broken through His wonderful display of love on the cross, His redeeming power, this calm assurance. Have you ever met someone like that? Calm and assured. I've had, uh, I've had several mentors in my life. In fact, uh, I have a little list of men. They, I only have two left. One's 94, one's 84. Uh, one of my uh, most favorite mentors uh, passed away last November at uh, Well, if he had lived two more weeks, he'd have been 102. You say, bless his heart, What is he creeping around a nursing home? No, he was still teaching his Sunday school class and driving his red Camaro <laughs> six weeks before he passed away. Held 14 world records in track, all of them for his age group. Somebody said, why, or when in the world did you start running track when you were, got out of Braniff, you know, and Airways, and you started... Why did you start running track? He said, well... I gave away all my money, and he said, and it literally, I know, millions upon millions of dollars to missions. He flew 25 planes for us, IMB, over the ocean, and then worked on the board of Jungle Aviation Radio Service. He had more guts than a government mule. I mean, this guy was an incredible guy. He and his wife, can you imagine flying a little single-engine plane over the Pacific? You know, just you and a, a, a flexible cell filled with, with petroleum, you know. I mean, he, he is an amazing guy. He said, well, I, I, I saw that no, you know, nobody my age was running those races, so if I ran, I could get the world record. And he said, if I got the world record, they would have to interview me and I could tell them about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Most people, you know, when they're up in years, all of their friends have died and they, you know, they, they have a handful of people and family show up at their funeral. When I spoke at his funeral, there were over 1,000 people there. And this man's life was characterized by joy. I mean, he, I first met him because he spoke into my heart at a moment when I felt like the ship was sinking, and he said, Tom, I believe in you. He wrote me a letter and said that. It was my first contact with him. I believe in you. I needed someone at that time to believe in me. Calm assurance rooted in the fact that God was running the show we have a tendency to look at what's happening in the world Uh, someone said to me just recently said well I know that you look at the circumstances and Jesus is coming soon well I've always believed that Jesus is coming soon But don't let the fact that you're having to be put out a little bit make you think that Jesus is coming soon. There have been people in other nations around the world who've been put out like this for hundreds of years. How would you have felt if you were living in Nazi Germany and a believer? You'd say, well, Jesus is coming soon. But but no. But people who have joy, calm assurance, know that God is running the show. Have you got it? That, that, that's what it is now where does it come from I, I want to deal with that just a little bit and then one other issue and we come to decision time where does this kind of calm assurance come from it comes from abiding making your home we get our word remain from the root that is used here abiding in Christ for Jesus said he, you know Here he is. The cross is looming. I mean, he is under the very shadow. Within hours, he's going to be hanging on that cross. And he's saying, now, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask what you will. It will be done unto you. So by abiding in Christ, making your home at him, which means listening to him, living in his word, surrendering to what he says in his word, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Now, without me, you can't do anything, but if you will abide in me, you will bear much fruit. What kind of fruit is he talking about here? Well, there's some places in the Scripture where the fruit to which he is referring obviously means people coming to know him as Savior. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, he said the disciples, and ordained you that you should go and bear much fruit. Well, there he obviously is talking about seeing people come to know him. But here the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. He's he's already spoken of love, and now he's going to speak about joy. And later on, before they get to the garden, he's going to speak about peace. And so he's referring to what the Apostle Paul calls in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, here's, here's what I hope you'll catch (laughs) And I'm praying right now that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you this very simple truth. When the Scripture speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, it is not using the term fruits of the Spirit as if off of this tree you get love, and off of this tree you get joy, off of this tree you get peace. Now, listen, these words describe the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, you said that's fine. What is that? No, what that means is this, that it's impossible for you to say, well, I have, uh, I have joy, but I don't have patience. That's the fruit of the Spirit. No, I'm sorry. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace. You see, it's all of it, if it's the fruit of the Spirit. If it's anything else, it's your your attempt to act like Jesus. It's not the life of Christ flowing through you. Because when the life of Christ flows through you, it's an all-or-nothing kind of deal. Do you catch it? To have one is to have them all. So don't go around boasting that you're a victorious Christian because you have love, but you don't have patience. I know people who do that. They say, I love everybody, but they're the most impatient people in the world. So where does that love come from? Well, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You got it? It's all or nothing. And it comes from abiding, living in Christ in absolute full surrender to him like a branch does to a vine. That's the way the branch ends up bearing fruit. You don't produce the fruit. You, you don't produce love or joy or peace or gentleness or goodness or meekness or self-control or you, you don't produce that. Ron Dunn used to say, we're nothing but fruit racks. That's all we are. We surrender to the Lord. He, bear, we bear fruit. We bear his life. Because fruit is what? Fruit is the outward evidence of the inward reality. The only way you and I can ever be joyful in this world is to at least spend as much time in the Word as we do watching TV. to at least spend as much time as we do in the Word, as we do talking to our friends about how bad everything is going. It only comes when we abide in Christ. I was uh, in Mombasa, Kenya, some years ago, teaching up a Bible study for pastors. We sat around on the floor, cross-legged on the floor, a little church there in, in Mombasa or as they were so, Mombasa. And we had a wonderful time. And at, at, at a break, one of the pastors came to me and said, I'd like to take you to my place of business. And I thought, well, I'm tired, it's hot, I don't want to do this. But he's just so blooming happy, and he says, "I just, I want to take you to my place of business." So I said yes. We got in a taxi cab and we headed into the guts of the old city of Mombasa. I was thinking he was going to take me to some business, uh, some some house uh, or, or office, but no. I thought, okay, it'll be some house, you know. No, no. We came to the intersection. He said, here it is. And I looked up around to see where the business was. He said, no, here, right here. And there on the sidewalk beside the street was a table. It had a canvas over it. He said, this is my business. And I thought, what? And we got out of the cab and walked over. He took the canvas Lifted it off, and underneath that canvas were some, some really crummy wood carvings. i just have to say it that way. They just weren't nice wood carvings. But they were, there they were. The table littered with it. They were dusty, and there were small ones and large ones, and there were some, you know, three sizes of everything. You know, all that kind of stuff. It was all, all there on this table. And, and he said, this, this is my business. I thought, he's brought me here to sell me souvenirs. So I said, well, uh, pastor, um, how long have you been in this business? And he said, "Uh, I've only been in this just a very brief time. He said, I used to be a supervisor at the Leyland plant. Now, that's a truck like General Motors, a truck manufacturing plant. I used to be a supervisor at the Leyland plant, and I thought, I wanted to say, why in the world did you give up that job to come sell these? And I said, what caused you to change your profession? And he said, well, I need to tell you the story. He said, um, there is a place here in, in Mombasa that has uh, uh, a lot of people who just have no, no way to live whatsoever. He said... Um, when there's a house fire, we'll lose fifty or sixty homes at once because they're all tied together and they're just made of trash. I had driven by that place, just boxes and scraps of wood, and there were things put together that uh, they were just all lean, just lean-tos. You think of what you see now, perhaps, and you've seen pictures in Portland or Seattle, just homeless, just. Made. He said, "This is this is where we live," and he said. Um, That's where I started out my life, and I would go back. That's where my family was. And he said, we had a little church there. And uh, he said, I love the church, and I didn't want to quit going to the church. So even though I worked for Leland, I kept going to the church. And he said, then our pastor passed away. And they said after they prayed, we believe you, meaning him, ought to be the pastor and he said, "Oh, I thought, how could I accept? This is the the the, the supervisor. Like, how could I accept such an awesome responsibility to pastor these wonderful people who live in these lean-tos, who live in these shacks that would burn down in a heartbeat, who have no running water, who have no plumbing facilities, who have none. They all. How how could I do that?" What? To call me to be their pastor. And so he said, after praying about it, my wife and I decided that we should do it. But it wasn't very long before I had sort of a run-in with the 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 people at Leyland because my people would have problems and they would need me and I would excuse myself and I would go home to deal with their problems and then I would come back he said finally they said what in the world are you doing he said I told him you won't believe this I'm a pastor I get to pastor this church And he said, they didn't quite understand that. And they said, well, you'll have to choose one or the other. We can't have you leaving work like that. And he said, well, (laughs) obviously I'll choose the greater one. I chose the church. Just a shack with people meeting. I chose these people. He said, he said, and so I'm their pastor. And he said, my wife and I prayed, Lord, give us some way of making a living so that when our people call, I can minister to them. He said, look, here it is. When they call, all I have to do is cover this up and I can go be with the people God has given me, the shepherd. Isn't this Wonderful. Isn't this wonderful? You see, there's a man who is living with the knowledge that someone bigger is in control of life. There's a man whose life baffles others because he is consumed with joy. Would anybody say that about you? Would anybody say, he, she, they, they're just the most joyful people. I've never seen people. They're just, filled. He, he's the most joyful. I mean, just to be around him, just to be around her, you ought to just, just, just he, my husband is so filled with joy. My wife is, my parents, my children are so filled with joy because they know that in the midst of everything that's going on, God is still God. He's running the show. This moment looks bad in the cupola of this little octopus that is spinning about eight different ways at once, but it's not some hayseed down there with his hand on the control. If it is falling apart, this world is a falling apart according to a very precisely prophesied and carefully orchestrated plan of God. You may think Satan is having his day, but there'll come a day when it will be God's day and Satan will be bound forever. Don't you think your world needs to see something different in you? Don't you think that Jesus as Lord should cause your life to reflect joy? Well, it should. And so they're tied up with chains, nailed to stakes, surrounded by wood, with a pouch of powder around their neck having a priest preach a sermon against them, and a judge in the presence of hundreds of people announced that they were now condemned to death by fire are Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. And as the flames begin to crackle, And surely the enemy must be gloating and thinking this will be an example. Nobody's going to stir after this. This is going to put them in their place. As the flames begin to crackle, Hugh Latimer shouts out, cheer up, Ridley, play the man. By God's grace, we shall light a fire in England that never, I trust, will ever be put out again. And they were gone. Cheer up. Play the man. I tell you what, that's a whole lot better than words like these for your last words. I guess this is it. Well, that's the worst news I ever heard. Well, I'm going to die. I can't believe this happened. It ought not to be this way. Cheer up. Did God do that? Absolutely. The tide was turned. Ultimately, the evangelical church became the church of England. Out of it came even the King James Bible. Now, someone else is running the show. Cheer up. Let other people see in you a calm assurance that says, but me, I trust in God. Would you bow your head? Father, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit moving in this place will bring us all to an awareness of just how deeply this world and how desperately this world needs to see people whose lives are characterized by genuine joy, the confident, calm assurance that comes from knowing that you, dear God, are in control. Nothing escapes your sight. Nothing operates outside as a surprise to you, catching you off guard. And you have determined that in the end, all will redound to your glory. And in the meantime, you've given us the wonderful privileges of being, as believers in Christ, your ambassadors. May we be ambassadors, yes, of, of love and peace and long-suffering and generous ambassadors of the gospel. But Lord, how I pray that we would be men and women, young and old alike, whose lives would be filled with joy, so much so that it just spills over, cannot be contained. But Lord, we know we have heard tonight it only will happen as we abide in Christ, living in total surrender to you, letting your life Your joy will be full because it's my joy, he said, that is in you. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful promise of the fruit of the Spirit to those who will abide in you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you would say tonight... I'm not sure that I know all that abiding in Christ means but I do know that it spends more it means spending more time with him than I'm spending and more time with him than I do with others who would sow discord and anger in my life. If you would say in some ways something is going to change when I live leave here tonight by the grace of God in terms of my abiding in Christ would you quietly with your head bowed, just stand where you are. My determination is to know what it means to abide in Christ. Just stand up, all over the auditorium. That's it. God bless you. Something will change. In my life, there will be a change when it comes to abide. My family is going to see. My friends are going to know. I'm even going to tell my face about it. that I am abiding in Christ. Father, drive this home to our hearts, hold our feet to the fire. By your grace, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.